know what is special about this week? Does anybody know what's special about this week at the church? Yes, it's serve week. Well, if you weren't in a small group, you might not have heard about it. So what we asked our small groups to do this year was every small group, we asked them as a collective effort to come up with a need in their community or in the church that they saw, in their city that they saw, at their job, whatever it would be, and come together as a group and serve just on this week. So we had some people on Saturday. I know Lincoln was a part of a group, the men's group. They did some lawn care for some people, and that was amazing. I know they've been to the pool today handing out free popsicles. We've got someone at laundromats praying for people, paying for their laundry. We got people at Walmart purchasing groceries. We've got... Um, Yes, thank you, Mary. There's like seven or eight of them. There's so many, and I've missed two or three of the most important ones too, and I'm sorry. It's hard to keep track of you all. But next year, we want to make it bigger. We want to make Serve Week for the entire church, not just our small groups. So we plugged it in a way we knew we could succeed this year, looking to expand it next year that Bud, you and Mary Lou would get a group of people that you know Get, find a need and meet that need together, whether it's financially, whether it's work, whether it's groceries, whether I know some of the kids are getting school bags or something like a teacher is getting a whole bunch of supplies. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do, but it's just simply to be Jesus. Just be Jesus with no strings attached. And I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes people just need to know that Jesus loves them and there's no requirement back in return from you, like, well, I'll give you this food if you come to church with me. No, I'll give you this food because you're in need. And Jesus said, if I see you in need, I'm going to bless you and give you what I have. And I have this. And by the way, I'm going to be praying for you. And if you need me, here's my phone number. See, like that works. Why wait till next year? I'm going to take you up on that, Mr. Hall. I think that's a great idea. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit you about that. That's good. So you're going to be getting a piece of paper and a pen if you need it tonight. And I'm going to give you your homework first. You're not homework, pre, pre-message work. Um, Pastor Randy last week taught on failure. This week we're going to be discussing how to get over my yesterday. How to put it behind me and keep moving forward. But I would like for you tonight, nobody, don't put your name on the paper. This is not like school. Don't put your name on the paper. You can put as many on this piece of paper as you want. As many failures as you can remember in your life that you want to get rid of tonight and never look back at, I want you to put on this piece of paper. I don't care if it's all the way back in high school and you were a part of a mean girls group and you made all the young girl, the, the, the nerdy girls feel bad about themselves. If that was you, put that down there, put mean girl. <laughs> I was a mean girl, just put that on your list, okay? If you made fun of somebody, anything you can think of that comes back to your memory that you feel bad about to this day, and you're like, that was a failure. Maybe you lost a job that you thought was the best job because you didn't show up when you were supposed to, or you lied, or you cheated, um, maybe you had a divorce and that's your biggest part of your failure of your life. And you think, when I did that, my life fell apart. If I hadn't done that, I would still be okay. I want you to write it down, okay? So, Father, 
We just come before you tonight. And Father, before I speak this word tonight that I believe you've placed upon my heart, Father, I ask you to move through me. Father, speak clearly to the congregation that's here tonight. But Father, I ask that you would speak clearly to them. Holy Spirit, begin to bring up things that they've put and buried or hidden out of shame and condemnation or just avoidance. Father, I ask that you bring it to the top, that they could truly write it down, confess it on paper, and be free tonight as we put it behind us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I'm leading you somewhere tonight, so just hang with me, okay? Just hang with me. How do I get over or free myself from my yesterday? So we've been talking about this, and how do I get over it without get a ladder, get over it, go to Lowe's? Because that doesn't work. How many of you have that worked? I wish it worked that we could just get over things, but oftentimes we don't just get over it. But what's necessary is freeing ourselves, not just getting over it, but being free from our yesterday so that we can move forward. And it's important that you and I remember that failure is not always bad. I'm not going to say that at the time failure happened, if there was a sinful nature to it, yes, it was bad. But if you learned from that failure and turned from the sin that was being perpetuated, then you have learned a lesson and you have grown. So how would that failure be bad? You learned from it. You moved on from it. You got over something because you went through something. You know, some of us parents, we, we struggle because our kids fall into temptation and they make really stupid decisions. But you know what? Sometimes if you don't know what temptation is and how far it takes you and how long it keeps you and how far away from God it takes you, you never understand what it means to be staying close to God. Temptation is natural for all of us. Sooner or later, everyone is going to fail. What you do when you fail is everything, is everything. And we're not allowed just to sit down in failure. We're not allowed to just, it's meant to be temporary. It's meant for you to bounce back up, learn a quick lesson, and keep moving. But oftentimes, failure, not gotten up from quickly, but sat in, begins to fester more failure. And because of the failure that you can't get over, you begin to make more choices out of that failure spot, making more failures after more failures after more failures that after a while, the devil just tells you, you're such the biggest failure, you shouldn't even try. And we just give up. That's called being hopeless. That's not God's plan for our lives. God, is there any parent in here that wants your child to fail so many times he just gives up on life? No. No, then how much greater is our heavenly father looking at us? Like when we fail, he's like, come on, boy, get up. Though a righteous man fall down seven times, though a man who loves me, who's seeking to do the right thing, falls down seven times, what happens? He gets up on eight. He gets up, why? And to go on to number two, he had to get up. 
to go on to number three. He had to get up again and get up again. The only way failure takes you is if you don't get up. Get up again. Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things, someone say all things. Wait a minute. Is failure an all thing? Hmm. So even in failure, God works for the good of those who love him. So people who love God and still fail, God uses that failure and turns it around for good in their life and uses it, what, for a learning lesson? To prove his love? To give his faithfulness back? To show that he's the love that you can never give up on you? It endures forever? That he'll chase you down no matter where you are, no matter how far you run, he keeps running after you even though you're shamed, you're condemned, and you're running from him because of a failure? Yep. That's what he does. It all works for him or for, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what do we do with our past and our failure and how do we make peace with it? Peace with it. Because sometimes that's hard. It starts at forgiveness. And we're going to walk through these four points tonight that I'm going to show you. And it's, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, the fifth verse. And we're going to do a little bit of reading because I want you to hear it from God's word itself. If anyone, okay, let me give you a little preface on this. This is Paul, who's over the church of Corinthian. He's obviously received a letter from the church stating that someone there has caused a big ruckus. And they are really not happy with this guy. He caused a lot of pain because he obviously fell into some sinful nature, we believe. Okay? It says, he's writing to the church. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. So obviously the church people were pretty hacked off. Okay? Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. In other words, not a couple people were mad at him. The majority of the church was mad at him. How many of you had one of your church brothers or sisters mad at you? It's not fun, is it? No, it, it's like this angst in the middle of your gut. Imagine a whole church, a whole church mad at you. You walk through the doors, they're like, mm. I mean, they're mad. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Paul's like, it's enough. <laughs> Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him. This is a man who did wrong. And we're supposed to comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by the excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Let me tell you something. It is time to forgive, and it's time to be forgiven. This proves that if you sit in a place where you are unforgiving towards others, 
that the devil will get a hold on you, outwit you, and you're going to be the one in trouble. So it's necessary that we forgive others, even though, quite frankly, he deserved it. He was doing wrong things. But he's like, you've given him enough grief. Relax, people. Now you need to love him. Now you need to affirm him and say, it's okay, brother. I understand that you, you made a mistake, but we love you anyways. And welcome back to the church. Just don't do it again. Right? Let's, let's not do this. And let's forgive. But oftentimes with failures, this guy had failed huge. But the problem is now he's got to forgive himself for the failure that happened. And when people are staring at you and looking at you and judging you based on what you have done that they're supposed to have forgiven, it gets a little hard to move on from your yesterday and put it behind you and look towards your future. So getting rid of our past starts with forgiveness. Forgiving the one who harmed you and forgiving yourself if you were the one who did the wrong to someone else. Because I'm going to tell you, if you can forgive yourself, why do you think small groups are happening right now? Small groups are happening right now because small groups is a safe place where stories are told, they're shared. We go through things together. I'm looking at Mary. I know she's taught a breakthrough group. She's going to start an identity group in this fall. But we're doing it because it's a place where you get to express how you feel, things that have been done to you, things that have been done by you. Because as we confess our faults one to another, we begin to heal. That's what the word says. Here's what I'll say. Forgiveness, you ready for this? Forgiveness releases a moving on power. If you don't forgive, you're never going to move on. If you don't forgive yourself, you're going to sit right there and never move past this moment of failure. So forgiveness releases a moving on power that you can move out of, move on, and get about God's plan for your life. Got that? If you write nothing down, that's a good one to write down. The next thing is repentance. Repentance. If you find yourself in failure and it was sinful in nature, I'm not talking about I made a mistake I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't know that would have that effect. And it wasn't a moral act. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking you knew it was an immoral act and you chose to do it anyways. Then 1 John 1.9 says that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So if you've done that, then just ask for forgiveness. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. He is faithful to forgive. We are going to put off the old way we used to live. And we're going to put on the new way we live. Because now we have Christ with us. We are no longer meant to walk in de deceiving, lying, lustful, sinful nature, selfishness of our life. We're meant to put off selfishness. And put on selflessness. Yes. Amen? Okay. So we're going to forgive the one who harmed us. Or we're going to forgive ourselves because we made some really bad choices. We're going to repent. And when I use the word repent, I mean to turn 
from my sin. I'm going to turn away from what I was doing, literally, a 360 turnaround and say, I'm not going back to that ever again. I'm not going to do that. And if you struggle going back to the same failure over and over and over again, then here's what I'm going to tell you. You are not repenting and then following up with a renewal of what God says. Here's why. If you don't understand what's going to happen if you remain in the sin you are in, you will continue in that sin. If you have a problem with lying, you need to look up lying in every book of this Bible. And you need to know what happens every time someone lied. Every time. If you have a problem with lust, there are hundreds of scriptures in here on lustful, lasciviousness behavior. And you need to figure out what God is saying about it because there is a written plan for everything that you and I face in this life. Everything is in here. But if you don't believe what God has said is going to happen, if you continue in the way that you are, you will never allow the Holy Spirit to do the change that needs to be happened. See, the word with a man's obedience is what changes a man's life. When the word goes into a man's mind and tells him the real truth of what our life should look like, then the Holy Spirit, by us believing in that word we read by faith, it begins to work inside of us. And the Holy Spirit by grace, begins to change our man. And we no longer act like we used to act because we truly meant it when we repented. Let's move on to Luke, the 19th chapter. We're going to talk about restitution. Hmm, this is not a good word anyone likes. No one likes to pay for the wrong sometimes that we've done. This is a story about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And I want to start in the first verse. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. How many of you remember this in the nursery? I remember this in my children's church. There's a song about this, I think. I just can't remember it. Probably pretty good that I can't remember it. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. So he ran down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here, am, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Hmm. Obviously, the crowd knew something about Zacchaeus that Jesus didn't maybe know yet that he was a sinner, and it didn't matter to the Lord that he was a sinner. But the crowd had already purposed that they knew he must have cheated somebody or he wouldn't have been a sinner. You understand what I'm saying? And he ran to the Lord. But here Zacchaeus is paying restitution for the failure that he had caused. Sometimes when you and I 
are the cause of a failure, we can pay restitution. We can say, Marge, I'm really sorry that I missed your birthday party and I said I would be there. I RSVP'd and I totally forgot I got busy. Will you forgive me? That's making restitution. That's not, hey, Marge, you know what? I, I was so busy. I had this to do and I had this to do. And you know what? Next year I'll be there. Which one sounded more heartfelt? Which one made Marge feel important? The truth. The truth. You don't need to lie. You don't need to connive. You don't need to make excuses for what you've done. You need to accept what you've done and say, I'm sorry. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm sorry? I'm really sorry that you took that like that. You didn't say sorry. You said sorry that the person misinterpreted what you said. The real truth is what you said hurt that person. And you should be able to own up to it and say, I'm sorry that my words were so brash and so hurtful to you. The tone in which I said them was completely wrong. And I did not deliver that in love. I was totally working out of my flesh. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's true apology. Not, well, I'm sorry you took it that way. That is not the way I meant it. Please don't even say sorry. Don't say sorry. That's not a true apology. If you can repay the wrong, if you can make it up, if you can fix it, if you can put back a piece that maybe you knocked over, then you should try. And it will help you reconcile your yesterdays and help you release the moving on power that you need to start living your life. Zacchaeus obviously knew that he had done some people wrong and needed to fix it. Now, if it had been forgiven, don't you think that it would have just been, oh, no, you just come with me. Never mind about any of that. But that's not what the verse said. It didn't say, no, no, Zacchaeus, don't worry about repaying that. No, that's not what Jesus said to him. So sometimes we need to pay restitution, whether emotional, verbal, money. If you stole it, you need to pay it back. It's that simple. Let's look at the next step. There's four steps to this, and we're going to go to Romans, the 12th chapter, the second verse. And if you're taking notes tonight, it's really a simple process, but it's necessary because there's stages. There's stages. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. When you and I renew our mind by reading the word, by memorizing scripture, you'll begin to see this new construction, this new thought pattern that's happening in your mind. And what you used to think about, you don't think about no longer. And if you do think about it, you don't think about it the same way you thought about it. And if you have forgiven the person that wronged you, or forgiven yourself as you wronged someone else, and you've repented and turned from the sin completely, and you're not going back, but you're walking in the opposite direction of what that failure brought before, and you've done your best to pay restitution. I'm sorry. I was not walking with the Lord the way I should have been. I made a mistake. I'm sorry that my actions hurt you. 
Will you forgive me? And then you begin to read the word and see that God has forgiven you. When you begin to renew your mind, there's no way that you can hang on to your failure because you realize that God has released your failure. God has not remembered your failure. God has chose to see you as a new creation and a new child, his child of God. He loves you. Children make mistakes. That does not make them not children. You begin to see it in a different light. But if you're struggling with your mind and the only thing you can do is condemn and shame yourself, then the renewing process is not complete in your life. And you've got to dig into the word and you've got to begin to know what God says about people who make mistakes and get up and try tomorrow. Because I'm telling you, every person in this Bible has failed except Jesus. Everyone in here, it's a story about their failure and then their victory. That's your life. It's a story of your failure and how God took your failure and used it and turned it into your victory and then used it to share with other people that they too could have hope in their failures and then see their victory. It's down, it's up. It's down, it's up. And every time we're down, we remember why he's bringing us up and how he took us from the depths of sin, sickness, disease, and redeemed us and purchased us as a people and made us holy. It's beauty. It's beauty from ashes. That's what he does. There's a renewing of our mind that has to take place. Pastor Regina taught a message in Kenton. Uh, no, Pastor Regina from the Kenton campus taught a message at a woman's meeting, and I'll never forget it. She'd come in, and she had this rear view mirror in her hands. And she was on this really tall stage. And I was down on the floor, and I'm thinking, oh, sister, what are you doing? And she begins to preach her message while looking in this mirror. And all she's doing is looking behind her, but she can't see where she's going up here. How many of you think that you could drive down the interstate with never looking through your window, but only looking in your rear view mirror? Never happened. You would have an accident lickety split because you would not be able to tell what was happening in front of you. Some of us are living our spiritual life looking in our rear view mirror. This is all we're doing. And we're running into other problems in front of us because we can't get our eyes and our minds off of who we were. Here's what I'm here to say. You've got to let who you were go. You've got to forgive yourself and move on and release that power to move on. Or I'm telling you, you're never going to assume the purpose that God has for your life. All the devil has to do is keep you believing that you're a loser and you're never going to go nowhere and you're always going to be a failure. And you ask me how I know that because the devil is the same to you as he is to me. You've made a mistake that's bigger than you. You're never going to fix it. You're never going to be enough. No one's ever going to forgive this. You should have never treated that person like that. You should have never said that. That was a little too honest. You know what? There is nothing too big that God cannot redeem. 
Nothing too big that God cannot redeem. Amen. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You cannot live a forward-moving life if all you're doing is looking backwards. It's time that you and I break the cycle of living in our yesterday. Psalms 103, 11, 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, when God looks at you, he does not see any transgressions. He does not see your failure. He only sees the purpose that he purposed for you to be. He looks at you. you have you ever looked at your kids and you see them and you're like, oh my gosh, they're such good kids. Now, that's not every single day, but I'm just telling you, some days I look at my kids, I'm like, yes, they're such good kids. God looks at you every day like that. Every day he looks at you in your potential place and sees your purpose, sees your calling, sees your gifting, sees your abilities, sees your supernatural ability, and he fills in everything that you lack, he becomes. That's who he is. He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're amazing. He probably walks around heaven. Jesus, did you see her today? I'm so proud of her. She went right out there and just began to preach the gospel. And he's like, you know, we've been working on her. She's coming right into her purpose. That's who God is. He's counting on you. He's rooting for you. He loves you. He believes in you. He thinks you can do it. That's why he picked you out of 44 million choices. It's huge. We're going to read Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. This is the Lord talking and remembers your sin no more. Do you know that God does not even remember your sin? And this is, this is going to play with some of your theology because you're going to be like, well, God knows everything. You're right. He does. He's omniscient and he does know everything. But he blots them out on purpose and chooses not to remember them because he lives by his own word. And if he doesn't remember them, then it tells me that if you execute the same word and you renew your mind in the scripture and you believe what God believes, then you too cannot remember your sin any longer. You can choose not to look at the failure and only look at the successes in your life and begin to move forward and move on and get out of the back seat, get in the driver's seat and turn the rear view mirror around. That's what God's purpose is for your life. He does not look at you the way you look at yourself. But if you're looking at yourself in a negative light, then the renewing of the word in your mind has not fully taken place. Amen. Hear me out. If you are struggling that you can't see yourself the way God sees you in the beauty of who you are, it's because you need a renewing of your mind. And that comes from the word. Philippians 3, 13 through 21. I told you we were going to read some scripture tonight. Here's what it says. Three thirteen. here we go. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature shall take such a view of things. In other words, we are to take a view of forgetting what is behind and pressing towards what is ahead. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example. By the way, this is Paul again writing. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, I read all of that to remind you to say that Paul was telling us that we needed to forget what was behind, press towards the goal that God had for us, because we're not citizens of this earth. People in this earth think about earthly things. But you and I, was that me? But you and I are not of this earth, so we don't think like the people in this earth. We are citizens of heaven, so we're thinking about things ahead, not the things behind, and we're looking towards the goal of going to heaven. You and I cannot go to heaven and get the prize if all we're doing is thinking about our failures from before. We have to put them away. We have to stop thinking about earthly things. We have to get our minds. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind. That means fix your mind on these things, on the things above and not on earthly things. Now I'm going to start closing with Colossians 2, and this is where we were getting to tonight. This was the, the scripture of the night. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over the cross. I want to remind you tonight. I ask you to have a piece of paper and write down your failure. Because this scripture spoke volumes to me. When you failed, you had an indebtedness that you owed. But that scripture tells us that God sent his son and canceled your indebtedness for the failure that maybe 
you deserved and you did on purpose. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe it was a bad choice. Maybe it was you were dishonest and received a bad reward for that dishonesty. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. And don't say it wasn't your fault, because that's not how divorce works. Divorce is both faults. I'm just going to be honest with you. There is no marriage that doesn't have equal struggle. I'm just going to tell you. You can be the best person in the world, and you're still not perfect. That's how we work. But no one should live under the failure of divorce for the rest of your life. God forgives. God moves on. And we repent, and we turn from it, and we change. And he repairs and restores all the damage that was done because of that divorce. You are no different than any other son or daughter of God if you've been divorced. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. It is not true. Christ came to the cross to cancel that divorce, to cancel that tragedy that has tried to define your life, to cancel the failure of the business, not one, not two, not three, Four businesses failed, done. God came to cancel the failure in your heart, in your mind from those businesses. But you've got to accept, accept the canceled payment. You've got to accept that God canceled it and wrote paid over top of your failure and that you don't have to live subsequently in that past any longer. And you can't allow the people around you who know about your failure to keep you there. Sometimes that's the hardest. It's not even that we don't forgive ourselves. It's not even that people around us. It's the people that know the failure look at you differently. Well, that's all right. Jesus don't look at me any differently. Jesus says that I am forgiven and I am washed in the blood of the lamb just like someone else who didn't do what I did. That doesn't matter. We are all the same in his eyes. He's not a respecter of persons. Literally, it's time tonight. What I want to do, we've put this cross up here. We have hammer and we have nails. You don't have to read out what you did. You don't have to talk about your failure. You can fold your failure in half and put your nail right on top of it so no one can see the failure that happened. And I want you tonight at the end of this service, we're just going to leave just like we normally do, and then we're just going to start hearing hammering. And that's okay. One of our guys is going to be up here holding it. I don't know who. Someone's going to hold the back of the cross because it's a little wobbly. But that's okay. Just don't go in the person's hand. It's all right. It's going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. But I want us to nail the failure here. But here's the thing. I don't want us to pick it back up. I want us to forgive ourselves for the failure that we did. I want us to forgive the person that possibly did something to us that caused us to believe that we were a failure for the rest of our life. Do you understand? I close with this scripture. John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them. You have overcome them, all your failures, all your past, because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. Greater in you than the one who is in the world. You can overcome your yesterday if you will realize that God's not holding it to your account. He canceled it. Paid for. Leave it at the cross. 
So Larry, if you would, just play music off the podcast or off the iPod. I know we don't have any musicians in here tonight because most of them are in small groups. We're just going to let music play, and I want you to think, and I want you to prayerfully consider leaving this failure once and for all. You know, my dad has only told his testimony two or three times in his life. And my father lived a very, very vicarious life. It was a lifestyle of of womanizing, gambling, you just name it, he did it. It was bad. Sometimes he tells stories of how he defecated in churches. But he doesn't like to talk about who he was. Because the devil uses it to condemn his heart and his mind and tell him that he's not worthy for God to use. We aren't going to do that. We're not going to allow the devil to lie to us about a past that he doesn't even remember no more. He's blotted it out. And he's, I've blotted it out for my own sake. And he took what you and I know and he threw it from the east to west. Do you realize if he had thrown it from the north to the south, because there's a north pole and a south pole, they would keep connecting and it would always be remembered? But because he threw it to the east, it will always go east. And because he threw it to the west, it will just keep circling west. There's no ending point to east and west, but there is to north and south. There's a reason he said east and west. Because he never wanted to remember it anymore. He doesn't want you to remember it anymore. The devil simply lies to you and tells you that your debt has not been canceled. And that it hasn't been nailed to the cross. And that you have to carry it forever. That's not what we believe. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you. And Father, I believe that you've been showing people things that they need to release tonight. Now, Father, there are failures in our life, God, that we have held on to for far too long. God, tonight, tonight, I don't even know what the date is, but it's sometime in July. We release, 26th, July 26th, because yesterday was Christmas in July on the 25th. Father, on July 26th, we release our yesterday. And Father, we press towards the goal and the call that you've called us to do. Father, we think on those things that are lovely. We think on those things that are just. We think on those things of good rapport. We think on things that are lovely in the name of Jesus. We don't think about these earthly things and our yesterday. But Father, we think about the cross that you provided for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't remember our yesterday. Therefore, because you do not, with a renewed mind, we do not either. And Father, tonight we nail these things to the cross and we leave them at your feet, not picking them back up, leaving them for good, that we could release the move on power of our tomorrow in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it, Lord. Amen and amen. I love you, church. There's hammers, there's nails. Come up and you nail it to the cross. And we will see you Sunday as we can. Don't know what pastor's going to talk on. I was going to tell you what we were going to preach on, but I don't know.